are listening to the Green Industry Perspectives podcast presented by Single Ops, a podcast created for green industry professionals looking for best practices, tactics, and tips in running their tree care or landscape business. Welcome back to another episode of Green Industry Perspectives presented by Single Ops. My name is Jay Worth, and uh, I'm really excited today to have with me, uh, and I'll go ahead and drop it now, the lawn care rookie, uh, Naylor Taliaferro. How are you today, man? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, thanks so much for for being here. Um, we open the show the same way for every guest. And so if you could, um, we just want to kind of identify so our audience gets some immediate value right on the very front end of the show. Based on your experience, what are the three kind of most common threads that you see among successful landscape companies? Yeah, so I really think the big, the three biggest things for me in this order is identifying your ideal client, route density, and knowing your numbers. And I say in that order because you can know your numbers all you want, but if you don't have a dense route, it doesn't matter as much. You're not getting as much profit. And if you don't, if you haven't identified your ideal client, then the other two don't matter either. You could be driving all over town. Like, so, you know, one has to come after the other, right? So in my opinion, if you identify your ideal client, then you can focus in on where those clients are and where the, you know, what kind of route, start building that route density. And then you can really dial in your numbers so that you're as profitable as possible. But I think it all starts with identifying your ideal client. So you're not just going, doing all types of random services for all types of random people. I mean, sometimes you have to do that in the beginning to figure it out, but figure it out. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm very excited to talk about each of these. Uh, Naylor, if you would um, give the audience a sense of your history, how you got into the industry. Uh, I've heard a little bit of the story because I've listened to your podcast, but how you got into the green industry, uh, what you're doing now, the company you run. And if you want to talk about uh, your your lawn care rookie uh, media brand, go for it. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Um, so this is going on my ninth season in the lawn care uh, business. Specifically, I have a lawn care maintenance uh, business where we do mowing, fertilization, weed control, aerating and seeding in the fall, take care of the leaves in the fall. You know, we do uh, mulch in the spring, prune the bushes throughout the year. So kind of like a one-stop shop for maintenance, um, no hardscaping or real landscaping. I refer those kind of things out, no irrigation either. Just, just stick stuck with, uh, sticking with what I know and what I enjoy and what I'm good at. Um, a lot, a lot of those other things I'm not really that good at or not that interested in. So I just focus on what, what I am. Cause then that'll be easier for me to master it and scale it and things like that. Yep. You know, I have, I have one crew right now. Um, only want to have a couple of crews. So I don't want to get too big of a business, just something that's good, good size to support itself, support the team that's working for it, obviously support me in some way financially. And while I have, and, and allow me time and space to do other things like LCR media, which um, is my social media um, business. And I've been doing YouTube slash social media for the last nine years as well. So I was in retail management before all of this 15, over 15 years, I was in retail management. My life was going in a completely different direction my life, meaning like my personal life, like my family and everything that I wanted to be a part of was going in one direction and retail was going in a completely opposite direction. You know, Amazon was taken over, you know, this was nine years ago, like Amazon had already taken over and, you know, it was just all, all the big retailers, you know, all the 
all retailers. I worked for clothing retailers pri- primarily, um, and, and it didn't matter what retail, the brick and mortar stores, as we call it, were struggling to get people to come in and buy stuff because they could just sit on, go online and buy, or they would come in and, and uh, I forgot what the term was, um, but they would just go and, and they would just look at stuff, right? Like, oh, I like this. Mm. And now I'll go on Amazon and buy it. You know, oh, I'll try this on here or I'll go to Best Buy and play around with this computer or get all the information about this TV and then just go on Amazon and buy it. So it was like wasting, you know, these companies payroll to 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 then the money just go into Amazon's pocket. So then they everyone was quickly trying to diversify and it just made it really hard for management and staff uh, way back then. And, and just in general, retail is just tough. The different hours, all the different times of the day, morning, afternoon, night, um, it, it just gets really hectic. And and I had a young family and I never spent time with them. My quality of life was just going really downhill. And I, I just came to a breaking point in my life where I just really wanted to press the hard reset button <laughs> and start over. Yeah. And I was always, I was always a lawn care guy you know like that homeowner that loved grass you know i had the one of the best yards in the in the the neighborhood um and i just enjoyed everything about grass so i figured well you know maybe i can fall back on that i've been running retail man you know managing retail businesses maybe i can manage my own lawn care business and of course there are some learning curves along the way but um i figured it out pretty quickly and social media helped a lot i stumbled upon social media right in that first year because i was doing a lot of research trying to figure out how to be a homeowner, how to go from being a homeowner to a professional, right? Like how much do I charge? What services do I offer? What kind of, is there estimating and invoicing software? Like I was thinking mm. about all this from day one. And, and I think it was maybe because of my retail management background. And I've always been a little more tech savvy. I'm, I'm at that age where I'm, I'm, I'm in the, the bridge between analog and digital age, you know, like Facebook, <laughs> I'm, I'm Facebook <laughs> came out. Yeah. Facebook came out. My wife was all about it. And I'm like, what is this nonsense? But I mean, I wasn't like, you know, too young or too old. I, I was able to easily adapt to all of those changes along the way. And, and, and that's helped me all the way to this, to, to now I can still accept TikTok for what it's for and all these different things. I'm not doing the same kind of things on TikTok as some of these teenagers, but I can accept the platforms for, for what, what, what they're good for and how I've incorporated them in my content and with the community. And that's what it really, what it really ended up being. I stumbled upon this community, the lawn and landscape community in its infancy that first year, just a few people making content regularly on YouTube. And I was like, what is this? Cause you know, when you research something on Google, if there's a video, then they're going to show it. So I just started stumbling yeah. upon all that and just kind of followed along for like that first year. And towards the end of the year, I wanted to start doing it. I'm like, you know, I want to be a bigger part of this community instead of just, you know, just commenting and liking, you know, I wanted to actually produce content. Cause I, I, I like that creative aspect i you know another fun little known fun fact is that i went to school for for art (laughs) i went to college for fine arts i majored in art in high school and i majored in art in college never did anything with it like because it's like oh what do you do you're going to be a starving artist or are you going to be an art teacher and i didn't want to be either one of those things so i didn't know what to do with myself (laughs) but it just means that i have a creative mindset so creating content really satisfies a lot of that that thirst you know inside my creative brain um, I'm not drawing and painting, but recording videos and editing is very similar in my mind. I, I get a, a lot of satisfaction out of that. And then recording content like this, audio, podcasting, I enjoy doing that as well. It really satisfies that creative need. So that's where that kind of all spun off into creating content. And I've been helping um, put putting together events, um, hosting events, being a part of events, 
to keep bringing the community together in, in more ways than just creating content. And they, they all kind of all help each other out. So still running my lawn care business. And I started my LCR media um, company five or six years ago so that I could start running these events and, and uh, getting sponsors, different brands like Toro and all these big companies that people would know of um, to, to back that and partner these events so that they could be free for everyone that attended just to get together. And, 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 you know, from being at synced live, it's just a great networking opportunity when we can be somewhere live together Absolutely. and chat, talk, talk shop and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's just something, something you can't describe is you really have to experience it to really get the full grasp for these live events. So I just want to keep doing that. And that's, that's where I'm at right now. Absolutely. And if you, Decide to check them out. Um, I'll put the links in the show notes, but um, on YouTube uh, is at Long Care Rookie and uh, the LCR Media Podcast. I listen to it on Google. That's my podcast player of choice, but you can probably find it, I imagine, Apple, Spotify, wherever. Yeah, uh, LCR Media Podcast. So cool. Let's dive into these three things because I, I read this list when you sent it over and I was like, this is going to be a fun conversation. I'm all about this list of three common threads here. <laughs> Um, first one you identified was, I, you know, identifying your ideal client. And I literally have in all caps as like the first thing I said in follow up was like, yes, <laughs> so I think so many companies kind of struggle to do this for you. Um, if you would just share with our audience, what did that process look like? How did you walk us through how you learned to identify your ideal client? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, right, right from the get go, I was familiar with grass. And, and like everything right. about grass, cutting grass, treating grass, all that kind of stuff. But there were still th things that I didn't know. Like I, I never aerated and seeded my lawn like the right way. I never core aerated my lawn. I'm, I'm actually from the state of New York, not Virginia, where I'm at now. So okay. the further further north you go, the less aeration is is a thing. It's more of like a luxury than a necessity because the soil is better quality. You know, the black soil, all yeah. that. Your grass is just naturally beautiful, but you still got to treat the the weeds and you know putting some nitrogen down doesn't hurt, obviously. Um, but you're not really focusing on rehabilitating the turf as much up there. So I wasn't really that familiar with it until I came here to Virginia, where it's natural, naturally clay, clay soil. I grew so up in Virginia, it, yeah. It's all nice. Yeah, and red. so you know, yeah. So like literally, the state of Virginia recommends aeration once a year just to break up the the, the compaction of the soil. You don't have to necessarily seed every year, but it's a great opportunity to do that as well. So in the fall, we aerate and seed. I mean, all across the country, they do that, but it's imperative in the state of Virginia because of the soil that we have is terrible. It's like, it's like hard as a rock by the time you get to fall after the mm -hmm. long, hot, dry summers. Um, you know, so aerating and seeding is a big deal, but I didn't know anything about aerating. So it's like something I had to learn. And so that early process, that first year, I, I obviously focused on what I knew, but of course, everybody and their mother wants you to do everything possible, right? Like all the hodgepodge odds and ends like, Oh, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do taxes too? Like just anything and everything. And you're like, Oh man. And, and you kind of quickly fall into that trap of being the yeah. master, you know, Jack of all trades, master of none. And it's like, Oh, and, and that contributes, that adds to you driving all over town, you know, which goes, goes on yep. throughout density. Next one. But you know, you end up, if you're doing everything for everyone, you're everywhere. And you're not making anything, you know, you're not making any money. So it's, it's just, it, I just quickly realized that there's certain things I like doing and enjoy doing in lawn care and landscaping and certain things that I didn't. So I started 
pushing, stopping doing those things, didn't promote those things, focused on promoting and posting pictures and things for what I do want to do and get more of. And then I quickly realized the people that I didn't want to be dealing with, like, you know, there are certain types of properties that have certain types of people. Now there's going to be exceptions to the rule. There's going to be people that move into a terrible situation and they just want you to help them get their property looking great. But for the most part, terrible properties don't have the, 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 the best people. They're the tire kickers, the, mm. the kicking over the one blade of grass that somehow didn't get cut people, you know, the holding the check in their hand, <laughs> you know, walking around the whole property before you get paid. Like all these wacky things that, people deal with i get it but i did not want to deal with that and you don't have to yep. deal with that you you shouldn't have to deal with that That's right. I, I get i get that a lot of people do and maybe you think you don't have a choice but you do you have a choice even if you live in an area where those are the only type of yards you have like maybe you're in a real rural area and you can't have this nice little tight route density like i have with all these hoas homeowner associations clustered together with thousands of houses in one hoa and you can literally spend all day in one hoa like that's not for, that's not everyone's situation. I get it, but even within the rural areas, there's better pockets and worse pockets. There's the people that have you know they'll, they'll value your work, they'll appreciate it, and they'll pay a good you know fair rate. And then there's the people that are like, I could just do this myself. Like like I'm not going to pay you for whatever you know. Yeah, blah, let blah, Chuck blah. and like, Truck have them. Yeah, right, exactly. Stay away from those people. So I quickly um, identified these things because I came from retail exhausted, battered, and had to rehabilitate myself as a human being. So I had been used and abused by customers and I just had to smile. Okay. You know, like just, just act like everything was fine and dandy as I got cursed out constantly by customers and all this stuff and all the employee issues and all that. Like, I just really was just like done with that. So when I had my own business, I was like not going to deal with that. And then, and I, I was kind of the extreme opposite where I was like almost telling people off, like at the drop of a hat and I had to dial that back and re rehabilitate <laughs> myself quickly because, you know, my brand was out there. I didn't want to put it, put a, a bad, you know, have a bad reputation by, you know, mouthing off to people and telling them how I really feel because I could, because it's my business. And I can do whatever I want. That doesn't mean that I should. <laughs> Just because right. I could doesn't mean I should. So I, I definitely had to start uh, filtering that out as I was going through that rehabilitation stage. But I think that contributed to me getting rid of all those people quickly. Like I fired people like crazy. Like as soon as I, a red flag, sorry, you're not for me. You know, we're, I'm not even going to give yeah. you a quote, like things like that, you know. And sometimes you didn't, they would, they put in their best show and you didn't know until once you started providing services for them. And then you're like, you know, things start flaring up here and there and, and red flags pop out and you're like, oh, no, I got to, you know, I cancel people regularly in the middle of the season because I just didn't want to deal with with their issues. I'm not saying that's yeah. the right thing to do, but that's what I had to go through to get to the ideal clients, which are for me, I realized it was the HOAs with, you know, the, the nicer neighborhoods, the middle class folks that appreciate the value of their dollar because they work just as hard as you to make that money. They tip the most. They're the most appreciative. Those are the people that you probably want to market the most to in, in a lot of service industries. Of course, there's money to be had with the wealthy people, but in a lot of ways, they're some of the cheapest people. That's why they're wealthy. So mm -hmm. they might not... They might not you know, sign up for extra services. They might try and haggle your prices and all that stuff. 
then obviously the lower income folks just can't afford to pay you stuff and they just have a totally different mentality. So yeah. I focused on, on, on the middle class, certain neighborhoods close together and, and, and it, everything else started falling in line. I felt better about myself, my job being more appreciated, not having to drive all over town and just everything just falls in the line as you start building your business around that ideal client. So for you, it was kind of a process of like trial and error. Like I hired people yeah. and realized these were not the customers I wanted to deal with. Right. And right. then, uh, or, you know, they, like you said, they put on a good show at the beginning and then mid season, you realize these are not the people I want to deal with. And so you were able over the course of several seasons to kind of like dial it into like, I want them to live in this type of neighborhood. I want their income to be in this certain range. Um, that kind of a thing. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yep. How has this um, process of identifying your ideal customer improved your business? So, for example, um, have you seen an improvement uh, like in your marketing ROI? Yeah, well, what what it is, is once once you identify that, you can focus on everything else. So, like, I know how to market to these type of clients because I know what's effective for these clients and these clients are loyal clients that I've had for the last seven, eight, nine years. Any changes that I've had to make throughout my business, whether it's raising prices every year, whether it's adjusting different services, adding or subtracting services, um, uh, mandating uh, credit cards on file, um, now going to a 12-month contract price, you know, monthly pricing or billing, all these different things. Um, you know, I didn't have my fertilization weed control license when I first started, so I didn't even offer that service. So when I did, I offered those services. Like all of those things are more easily digested and um, accepted by your ideal clients. They're all your cheerleaders. Yep. They're, I mean, of course, you still have exceptions. You know, like just because you pick a neighbor, that's why I say pick your ideal client, not your ideal neighborhood. Because, yep. you know, I'd rather have, and this is an argument that for the cent for, for the, for the decades that I've had with people, like I just ask people, <laughs> would you rather have your ideal client or an ideal uh, a property? You know, obviously you want both, but that's not always going to be the case. And people right. more times than not say they'd rather have their ideal client being more important, important than the ideal yard, because you can, you can deal with a, a headache yard, but a headache client is like a nightmare. It just yep. stresses you out all the time. It's like having a horrible boss times however many people you have. And I want to get away from horrible bosses. So, um, you know, you, you really, that's where I, an ideal client, that's why I say is number one, because it, it dictates everything in your business. It dictates your stress levels, what you can and can't do, you know, with your businesses. Like I, I try a new service. I try a new this. I switched my CRM, you know, different softwares and I, you know, I experiment with certain clients that are my best ones that are my ideal clients and they're super accepting. And, you know, when, when things hit the fan and people thought it was cool not to work anymore, you know, during this whole COVID nonsense and it got really difficult to get all the work done all of a sudden because we couldn't find enough people to get it done. And I send emails out to my clients. The ideal clients were the ones that responded Hey, don't worry about it. We can't, the schools can't even find enough bus drivers. So we have to drive our kids to school. Just hang in there. It'll get better. We understand, you know, they're encouraging you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The, the non-ideal clients are the ones that are like, 
not responding or responding to that. Yeah. Responding to that with just hate stuff. Like, you know, when are you going to be here? When, you know, how come you're not here yet? Like, you know, it's almost the end of the day. You're supposed to be here today. Like, yeah. My mowing day is Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Like they just, you know, freak out and cause all this unnecessary stress. So in so many ways, ideal clients just kind of save the day and save your sanity and save your, your business, you know, I mean, you can grow your business off of your ideal clients as long as you figure out what that is and you you scale that with them. And, you and it sounds too them. like there's like a value alignment, right? Like they see value in what you do. They're behind your yeah. intention in running the business. And so that makes life a little easier too. For sure. And also the other thing that I almost forgot to mention is word of mouth back to like your marketing word of yep. mouth spreads better with ideal clients than just random people. Absolutely. You know, like your, your ideal clients are just going to keep talking to their neighbors and their friends and their family. And sometimes a lot of the times for me, they're like on the outskirts of my service area. So that's unfortunate, but a lot of times they are just next door neighbors or a, a family member that lives in the HOA right down the road or something, you know, so it works out. And I mean, in some cases, literally like my, my new crew leader is like, oh my gosh, you're not kidding. Like I literally have grandma, one daughter, second daughter, and um, the ex-husband, four houses, four yards, one family, one Jerry Springer show, four yards <laughs> wow. in the same neighborhood that we take care of. So, I mean, it's just, that's what happens. And that could be bad too. Like if, if, if they're bad, if they're not your ideal clients, that could be four handfuls, you know what I mean? Or, or if, if you screw something up, you know, and you, yeah. just, you just do a terrible job with one of them, then it's going to spread to the other three and you might lose all four of them in one clip. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword, but if you just do good work, you know, you can just keep growing when, when you find your ideal clients. So, well, and I think too, and this is hopefully a good segue into your point about route density, but like, as you're talking to your ideal clients, um, when you really like, when you know they're in a good place and they're happy, um, that's a great time to ask them for a referral, but it's also a great time to say, here's what my ideal referral looks like. Like my ideal referral, you know, if you're going to refer me to somebody, I'll take anybody you want to refer me to, but ideally, you know, they, they live a lifestyle like yours. They live within a mile of where your house is at. They, you know, like you can give them a small list of like two or three points and say, you know, I'd prefer that, you know, they work in uh, a similar industry, their home value is the same, and they live within five minutes of your house. Right. Right. 100%. And they'll do that. Like they know those yeah. people, their kids yeah. play little league with them or, or whatever, like they'll, they'll refer that. But if you help them, I think this has been my experience. Anyway, if you help them and say, here's what my ideal client, my ideal client looks like, you know, as the business owner, you're communicating that to them. Like people will respond to that. You'll improve your route density that way too. Yeah, well, all of my ideal clients know what my ideal client is because it's that's them. right. <laughs> you know, they 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 just know and, and they see us in the neighborhood all the time. And you know, the, the best thing leading in the route density is the the when you have the right route density, the best thing you can hear is someone says, Oh, I see your trucks everywhere. And we just yep. have one truck. We just have one truck. I mean, we have two now, but I mean, usually when people say that, we just have one truck, and it's like but it's because we're always in there because we have so much route density. We're That's always doing something. So they think we're just because we're just driving through the neighborhood all day, every day. They think we have this you know, huge, huge fleet of trucks. So that's that's where route density really gives you that presence. And then people are like, man, I, I have to contact these people because they're just always here. And and um, the ideal clients 
are on Facebook. That's the private group within their HOA and someone moves in and, or their mower breaks or, you know, whatever happens and they need someone, they need a referral for someone to mow their lawn. Guess what? You've got a whole bunch of ideal clients that are going to recommend you. And that happens to me all the time. So I, I become basically the authority in the three neighborhoods that we are the, the most dense in, you know, we have over 20 yards in all of them. So it, it's just like, it becomes peer pressure to a certain extent that people are <laughs> just it. like, man, I guess we have to call it five different people. You know, most people like you get like this brand, this company, this company, like one of each company. And then all, all of a sudden you start seeing my company come up, come up, you know, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. And they're like, okay, I guess we got to contact this company. So we have like a whole cul-de-sac or we have all but one. And they're like the, wow. the outlier just chilling there, you know, I'm, drive down the street and we unload, do another two or three, you know, it's that, that's, that's how, that's how it's become. And I mean, it's, it's, that's where it really needs to be. Now you've already kind of talked about it, touched on it a little bit. Um, but could you just give our, our listeners, uh, what do you, what do you mean when you say route density? Do you have like a quick definition that you use? Um, what yeah, you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for route density, it, it, it really applies the most to maintenance um, you know, whether that be fertilization, we control um, mowing lawns, you know, there, there's a lot of different maintenance activities where you're coming back reoccurring, like weekly, monthly, biweekly. You know, if you're just doing a one time landscape install or hardscape install, like that's not really relevant as much. You know, you can you can factor in the fact that you're going to it's a 10, 15, 20 thousand dollar job. You know, you're going to drive wherever in town you're going to leave your equipment there all week. Like it's it's not like it's you know, there's ways around it's all different. that. But when, yeah. Yeah. But when we're talking about cutting grass or, you know, treating grass or, or, you know, different things like that every week, every other week, every month, you don't want to be driving all over town constantly doing that. You want to just keep going to the same neighborhoods and save time, save gas. I say to people, whether you want to have employees or not, as a solo owner operator, you should hire someone part time for one day or even a week, if that's what it takes, and drive around your route, and you'll see how messed up your route density is when you realize how much you paid this person for not actually doing billable work. That's yep. the biggest eye opener. So for me, you know, so so route density is just keeping everything as tight as possible, as close together as possible, in similar neighborhoods, right down the street from each other. That whole philosophy. And I don't know if you're going to ask this, but I'll just say this: this came to me. <laughs> <laughs> this came to me immediately again because I was trying to rehabilitate myself from retail and I wanted to get my time back. I want to spend time with my yes, family. I want, come on. Yeah. Right. I wanted to have time to do like hobbies, you know, like things that I want to do for fun, like go work out, go for bike, mountain bike riding. I love doing that. Like just doing different things outside. I love being outside, which is one of the many reasons why we moved to Virginia because we have more, you know, more time outside than in, in New York state. Right cold or really hot or whatever but so we have all the different seasons here in virginia and then some so we just love being outdoors so i wanted to get that time back because i just felt like i had no time in retail like it was just i was just and when i when i did have quote unquote time i was just too exhausted and depressed to really enjoy it mm -hmm. so i was quickly trying to get my time back so by default design whatever you want to call it i was by necessity i was like i can't keep driving all over town like that first season i'm like this is ridiculous i need to you know identify my ideal clients and where i want where I want them to be, you know, like where I want to be. Like if I'm going to drive across town, that's great, but I need to build up a route over there. And if it's not working out, I need to cut that out and move on right. to the next neighborhood so I can start building up a route. So I don't have to drive all over town. I drive to one neighborhood or one section of town, 
and then I can just chip away throughout the day at all the different projects that I'm that I'm doing. So that's that's really route density in a, in a nutshell. See, I stumbled onto this much later in my career. I sold lawn care door to door for like six years in total in my career, and at one point, it was like a completely like I'll spare you the backstory. By by complete accident, I found myself in this neighborhood, um, in a in in a in a borough in central Pennsylvania, in one of the like the city like near the city center. But it wasn't like, um, like the city might have like thirty thousand residents, right? It's like, like a huge city, but but it was considered city center. And um, so the lawns in this neighborhood, you know, the houses were all built in the fifties and sixties um, when IBM actually had an office in this city, <clears throat> and. Now that was like older and like young families were just starting to move into these older houses. And like, there was a mixture of that, like people without time. And there was a, and then old people that had worked for IBM that still lived in those houses that were old and couldn't do it themselves, but they had the money. Right. So there was this weird dynamic and there was probably 600 ish, 700, probably less than 700, but a little over 600 houses in this development. Found myself in this neighborhood, like kind of completely by accident one day, knocking doors. And it was just super productive. Like a bunch of people were like, yes, absolutely. And at one point, like the longest street in the neighborhood um, probably had a hundred houses on it, like on this one street. And at one wow. point, um, 20 of those houses, like I managed to nail as <laughs> nice, <laughs> like one out of every five houses, you count on five houses. And there was a customer in there. And that father, five, you know, up yeah. and down the whole street. And um, it didn't hit me that I had done anything really significant. And and, and, I, and then I just worked the rest of the neighborhood and continued to like get that same kind of result. And it didn't occur to me until one of our technicians came to me and was like, dude, were you over in such and such a neighborhood? And I was like, yeah. He's like, you killed it. He's like, I spent like four whole days there. Nice. And I was there like, really? And he was like, yeah. He's like, I just drive to the neighborhood. I spend all day working and I drive back. Like I don't have to drive anywhere else. He's yeah. like, sometimes I just park and I get off and I do three or four houses at a time. And it like exactly. clicked with me then it was like, Oh wow. That's so much more efficient. Right. Yeah. And yeah. So I not think only like, is it, it's really efficient. Yeah. I think like lawn care, like fertilization, weed control and like even pest control. Like if you offer mosquito control or maybe you offer perimeter pest control, structural pest control, they have like cotton onto this a long time ago, but I think there's application even for, your other maintenance activities, right? So whether it's mowing, whether it's um, shrub trimming, like maybe you've got those clients that want that done like twice a year. Um, why not keep them in those areas where you're already doing other work? Right. Um, yeah. So sure. I just like, I think I can't think like, and I'm sure I don't have a, a complete list here, but there are so many areas of your business that are impacted by having really tight route density, right? So like lower overhead because you got less windshield time, lower fuel costs because you're less doing less driving between stops, increasing your billable time per hour, possibly lowering your insurance because you're not driving as often, right? Like your guys aren't on the road for as many hours a day. I mean like- Less you, gas. Less gas. There's so <laughs> many different implications for this for your business. Um, how has, and it, you know, you said you kind of stumbled onto this more as like a, this is where my personality that my head is at in this moment when I'm starting my business. But have you seen um, some like tangible benefits of this versus your peers who maybe aren't, haven't gotten onto this yet or haven't really like embraced this yet? Yeah. Everyone that I know that, that 
doesn't have necessarily the same kind of route density. It's not that they haven't embraced it or it's, it's like they don't really know how to do it or they're just kind of struggling with the, the concept. And, um, mm. you know, so that's, that's, so that, that's really that whole scenario, but I think it's hands down. You can't deny all of the benefits that you just mentioned. And, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that people, unfortunately, I guess maybe they don't, but they should, you know, going into knowing your numbers, but you're going to be the most profitable. You talk about efficiency. That's yes. what increases your profits because, you know, we literally unload. I mean, there, there's obviously a few single stragglers here and there within the same neighborhood. You know, we pull up, unload for one, load back up, drive further up down the street or around the corner or whatever. But typically we unload and we do a couple of lawns and then load back up. That's money in the bank. Like after that first yard, it's almost 100% profit other than the gas that you just are using for the equipment because you're not driving anywhere. You're not wasting any non-billable time. Like literally yes. you're going from property to property. So when you get to the second property, so if you at least stop for two, it's almost 100% profit, you know, that that next property because you're already there. You know, you're just spending the gas, you know, for you've built uh, them for the overhead yeah. of driving from the office to where their house right. is, but you don't right. have to actually do that because you already did. Right. It. Exactly. So you're really capitalizing on, on that and really increasing your margins. Um, and, and that's where route density really comes down to. But if people don't really get that or understand the numbers part and all that, then at least the fact that you can get more done in a day too, like. When you're driving all yes. like some of the crazy routes I've had in the past, like we can only get like eight or nine yards done when we can get 20 done in the same neighborhood. It's like, what in the world? Like that makes no sense. And, and then, then you look yes. at your, your, your revenue per day and you see, wow, I can easily get a thousand dollars done and just cutting grass in this neighborhood because we can get 15 to 20 done, you know, based on what, what the prices are and the size of the yard, it's a thousand bucks easily attainable, even on a hundred degree day, but on a hundred degree day, it's almost impossible, let alone a you know sixty degree day, to get you know these eight or nine or to get a, these eight or nine don't equal a thousand because we're driving all over town or yes. this one section of town is all spread out more this this neighborhood and you know whatever. So there's there's so many pros and cons there, but you you just you can't even make as much money. You you can get more done in the day the tighter your route is because you're not driving yes. all over the place. And so this, you know, you mentioned this dovetails nicely into knowing your numbers, uh, which by the way, three for three, you're batting a thousand, man. I love these. <laughs> I love these answers. Um, talk nice. about numbers. When you say someone needs to know their numbers, what do you mean by that? I mean, basically all of your expenses, you know, AKA costs. I mean, you need to like, if you're obviously you have employees, there's the whole payroll stuff. There's, you know, there's a uh, worker's comp. You should have general liability with or without employees. There's payroll taxes, then obviously payroll, what you're paying them. So there's all of that, which I think is more obvious to some people or most people. But what happens is a lot of people are being so they're, they're solo owner operators and they think that they can kind of get by with a lot of things, not knowing their numbers. Like they're not paying themselves necessarily. They don't know how much money is actually coming in and going out. Like, you really need to know how much are you spending on gas per week? That's everything. Your mowers, all of your equipment, your truck, all that stuff. You know, how much is your general liability insurance? If you if you're using products, how much are those products? And you break it down per job, per day, per hour, you know, uh start and then you come up with a weekly and then monthly, and you just know what what your expenses are based on how much you're charging for all this, and that gives you a percentage. And if you don't have, you know, like 30%, uh, you know, margin, like you're making 30% profit, then you're really not making that much money when you, when you, you know, people think, yep. 
oh, I mean, like I'm charging $50 for this yard that makes, that only takes me an hour to do by myself. I'm making 50 bucks an hour. No, sorry, fam. You're not making 50 bucks an hour when you actually break down your numbers. Like when you see how much it costs in gas for all of your equipment and you multiply all that out by all the properties and all the gas. And if you have insurance, like you should have um, all the different things, when you take all that out, now it's not $50 anymore. Maybe it's only $20. Okay, great. I'm making $20 an hour. That's more than I make it this place or that place, this Mm -hmm. corporate job or that corporate job. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, that you're worth 20 bucks. Don't you want to make more than that? Don't you want to make 60 bucks an hour? Like, well, then you got to charge more and you got to know your numbers. You got to make sure that you're dialing it all in. And there's a whole lot of, you know, you can really geek out on this stuff and and really go in the weed, but that's just kind of like the big broadest overview of just the basic concepts and the basic, like the major, the macro stuff that you should be doing. And you should know how much those things cost. Um, You should know how long it takes you to mow a lawn, for example, for a simple example, so that you know how much you're making on that lawn. Are you making $50? Does it take you an hour for that lawn? Okay. So that's $50 an hour that for that lawn that took you, but then you take, Yeah. yeah, then you take out all your expenses and you really figure out how much you made and all that kind of stuff. So that's yeah. no, no, no your numbers can really go on the weeds, man. That's something that's another reason probably why people kind of, I think are intimidated to be honest by knowing their numbers. They don't really know what that means. You know, we throw that term out there a lot, same thing with route density and, you know, it just seems intimidating to folks and yeah, you know, there's a lot of podcasts and YouTube content out there like this that helps talk about that on more of a macro level. I know there's a lot of good folks in the industry that are willing to dive into the numbers and, and dig deep, Absolutely. For you. you know, route density like myself or knowing your numbers, like some other folks. And of course, you know, that's for a little bit of a fee, whether that's a training course they have online that's self-paced or they work with you one-on-one and rightfully so if they're going to spend hours of their day with you, helping you dive into your numbers, you would think that they should be compensated for that. So there's a lot of great folks out there that can really help you figure that out because not everyone is born a mathematician, right? Not everyone's born yeah. knowing those, those kind of things and, and, and knowing their numbers. So that's, it, it just, it just kind of comes, comes with the, with the territory for certain people and not with others. So there's plenty of help out there nowadays. There wasn't nine years ago. That's for sure. I figured <laughs> a lot of this stuff out myself. Yeah. Well, so I came into the industry, um, coming up through the sales side, <clears throat> I did some field work too. I did, I worked for full service landscapers in college and, um, came into like my professional career in the industry and the sales side, but found myself running a marketing department for a, a large landscape company. And I was like, I don't know anything about marketing. Like I had to learn a lot of that, uh, the same way I had to follow people and ask vendors questions and, and all of that stuff to, to really learn it. Um, and so like, yeah, there, there are resources out there. Um, I'll put a link to in the show notes to um, an article that, that we've written that I've written about how to identify your ideal customer. So if you're struggling with that in particular, there's at least a free resource out there for you that you can read. Uh, it's a short blog and you can kind of figure out, hopefully that, that gives you some actionable items on how to get started with that um, circling back to the top of the show. But Naylor, thank you so much for making the time today, man. This has been a lot of fun. I think there's a lot of people who are going to get value from this. For sure. Well, thank you for having me and I'm glad to be a part of it. Absolutely. Wait, before you go, did you know that this podcast is only one of the free resources we've created just for you? 
It's true. We've got guides outlining the best practices for the green industry, including how to market your business, streamline your sales process, and recruit and retain the best talent in your market. Plus, there are guides about what reports you should be monitoring and best practices for change management. You can find these at singleops.com under the Resources tab. You can also check out blogs with topics like turning invasive pests into a recurring revenue stream, how to correctly price your services, how to properly approach your customers with a price increase, how to persuade your boss to get the tools you need, and of course, best practices for switching your software. There's no sales pitch with that one, it's just a list of items to consider. You can find those articles and more at singleops.com backslash blog. Use the search bar if you're looking for something specific. We're here to help. And now, we're going to let you get back to that sweet outro music.